Hey everyone, welcome to Lessons with Mike. I'm here today with Indigo again. How's it going, everybody? It's good, good. Today we're actually going to be talking about uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, I think that's what they're called. <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit of personal experience, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know much about that group at all. I mean, I'll... All I know is that you're not allowed to have a birthday. <laughs> you're not allowed to have a birthday. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because like you, you kind of have to have a birthday. You started somewhere, but yeah, um, there's there's like I feel like a lot of misconceptions that are not fair, and mm -hmm. then there's a lot of things that people don't know that are like the real reason. For instance, why I you know would leave the church or why I'm not a fan of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, so talk about all that. You're gonna tell us all about it and go into some of your personal stories and with why you left and click and yeah, explain the whole thing basically. Nice. Yeah. I'm kind of an open book on it. So, <laughs> cool, cool. so were you, uh, were you raised that way? Yeah, pretty much from as, as far back as I remember, I think my, my parents were studying when I was like a couple years old uh, with some, the, the brothers from the congregation and so by the time that I was like cognizant of what was going on and growing up, then we were just regular, you know, going to the church and, you know, doing all the studies and all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty much a part of my life since I was like a toddler. <laughs> so uh, they have their services. Do they, are they the group that has their services on Saturday? No, I think there's a, I'm not sure exactly. I think that's seventh day Adventist or somebody like that. Okay, I okay, may be yeah. wrong. <laughs> okay. So you would have the regular uh, Sunday services. Yeah, actually, there was there was typically three different meetings throughout the week. Um, there was like your yeah your regular Sunday service, um, and then there was at least the ones I would go to. It was like I think a Thursday night was what we called a theocratic ministry school. I, I'm sure we'll get into details on that. And then there was usually some other night of the week, like maybe a Tuesday or something. There was like a they called it just the Bible study. So there was like three separate types of getting together for the congregation. Okay. And, um, growing up, I grew, I grew up Pentecostal. We, we just had uh, Sundays. Maybe there were, maybe there would be two times on Sunday, like in the morning and in the evening, but usually I'd only go to one. And then there was something Wednesday night as well, uh, but they were all pretty similar, but it sounds like your three things were very different. Yeah. They, there was a lot of structure to it, I guess, which, yeah. I mean, I suppose that's good in most cases. Um, but yeah, your Sunday was your, your typical, I, well, I don't want to know. I don't, I don't know if I'd say typical then, <laughs> but there was, there was basically two different little, uh, parts of the, like a first half and second half on Sundays, about two hours. Um, the first half was, you know, a, a speaker, you know, one of the elders in the congregation giving essentially like, I, I guess it would be called a sermon, mm -hmm. you know, about 45 minutes or so of him speaking on some subject and directing to people the different scriptures and various things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the second half of it, we have, we had these publications that I'm sure many people are actually familiar with casually, uh, the watchtower and awake magazines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the watchtower would have like these actual study articles in them where it was like broken down by paragraph and each paragraph had like a corresponding, like question and answer segment to it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you would have that second hour of the afternoon on Sunday where um, somebody would read off the paragraphs and then they would do, you know, people raise their hands and kind of give their answer based on what they read in the paragraph or something they knew from scripture or whatnot. Okay. Okay. So, so it's sounding like 
it sounds like there's a lot of involvement from the I guess you would call it a congregation mm-hmm. because uh, we didn't have anything like a, like a question and answer type thing or growing up my services were always like uh, d- there was a music like maybe 30 45 minutes of music and then maybe 30 to 45 minutes of a speaker and then it would close with a prayer did you have music in your services uh, yeah actually so very similar in that sense they they, they mm-hmm. open and close with a with a prayer and mm-hmm. then they um, there was usually we call them if I can remember now, but Psalms, uh, like the, the book of Psalms, yeah, there were songs in a book that we had that were taken from that, you know, or based upon different Psalms so it, that were now songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we would open up, um, with, you know, the music, little music thing would play the piano or whatever, and everybody would like sing together. So, I mean, kind of like that little unifying thing. We all sung together and then had our, our prayers before and after. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, and now I've actually met a few Jehovah's Witnesses uh, because, you know, the missionaries that come to the door mm. and all the ones I've met have been really nice people. I just, and I'm not a mean person to anyone. So I'll, take <laughs> the little, I'll be like, oh, you got me a pamphlet. Thanks. Bye. And then, <laughs> and then this is mean, but I just, I usually look at the pamphlet once or twice and throw it away. <laughs> um. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of it really is just kind of uh trash yeah. bin litter, but yeah. So do you have to do that? Because I know if you're a Mormon, that's like something you have to do. Is that something you have to do if you're a Jehovah's Witness, like go door to door? No. Um, so, yeah, the Mormons refer to them as missionaries um, within the Jehovah's Witness organization. Missionaries are typically only people that um, are like they've essentially dedicated their lives to that mm-hmm. kind of work. And m- many times they are sent to like overseas, like third world okay. countries and things like that. You're the typical person you have at your door is is it's just kind of a, an average person from the congregation and they decided, Oh, I'm going to go out on a Saturday morning or a Tuesday morning or something like that, you know, and go knock on some doors in a certain neighborhood and spread the word. Um, but it's not required in any kind of way. Oh, okay. I, yeah. It's obviously encouraged. And many people who are, you know, very devout, like very dedicated, yeah. they make it like a regular thing. And we do have, um, they were called pioneers. So they were, they were people who did it like, cause we would track, uh, time and stuff like that. Cause the, the congregation and they called it the society, um, like the, the, the overall, the overarching like group that kind of monitored everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they like to keep track of what was going on, how many hours people were spending out in field service and you know, how many of these publications and pamphlets were being handed out, all that kind of stuff. So those who were dedicating something like, uh, I think it was like 40 hours. Uh, a week or, or yeah. excuse me. Yeah. They, they were full-time pioneers. It's a full-time job just passing out pamphlets. Uh, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but in, it was definitely not required. There was no like, Oh, once you reach a certain age, you have to do this or that. It was all very much just that's up to you, your level of faith and dedication. You decide what you're going to do. That's interesting. Cause I guess that's one of those misconceptions. Cause I've always assumed and I'm sure many people have always thought it was just like a, a thing that, that that group does. But you're saying it's like a, a volunteer thing, which uh, which is very interesting. Yeah. And that's again, that's one of those things that I can appreciate is many of the things are, are very much voluntary because it's supposed to be like, how do you feel like what what drives you basically and how much? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like what are, what would you say are like the big differences from like traditional types of Christianity that separate it? that make it distinct. I know there's like different passages of scripture that you emphasize more than other groups. So is that one of the things or is the focus somewhere else? 
I think the biggest thing, um, at least what I was taught, and I, I guess being outside of the church for, well, I, I was within the church for half my life, and now like half my life I've been without. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but the perspective of somebody who was raised within it and has been able to kind of look back and analyze it is that it's a very um, plain worded religion, I guess. Once you're involved in it, you kind of understand a little bit more. But like, for instance, the translation of the Bible they use is is meant to be understandable by like the common average person. Whereas, and we all know that like the, the Bible has been translated so many times and, oh, yeah. and retranslated or rewritten and edited. Um, but many of the translations in the past um, were specifically worded in ways to keep the average commoner from being able to understand it so that they had to get the word from people who are more educated and from mm. people who are you know more elite i suppose yeah. um that's definitely one thing they, they use a translation that essentially it's it is supposedly the actual word but in you know the common tongue basically okay. <laughs> uh, so there's that and then um there's no fancy i suppose um I guess you'd call it like traditions attached to it. Like you see Catholicism and, and even Mormonism and, and then, you know, every other, you know, every sect of Christianity has its own thing. It does. Right. Yeah. And I feel like when it comes to Jehovah's witnesses, th there's actually not much there. It's like you, you study the Bible and then you try to spread what you've, you've learned there. There's not many of these other little traditions and, and distracting things, I suppose. That's really interesting because um, in the Pentecostal tradition, the one I was raised in particularly, the only Bible that was, you know, looked upon favorably was the King James translation, which yeah. is written in very archaic English. Yeah, <laughs> it, that's a struggle to understand. And similarly, some like old order Catholic churches will only read the Bible in Latin. Yep, and yep. I've never understood either of those because regular people are not going to understand what you're talking about. Well, and, and that's kind of part of the point is in, in many cases in religion, mm -hmm. you know, and, and when I say the things I say, I, I speak from my own personal experience and opinions. I oh, have yeah, no way here. do I mean to like, hey, if somebody has a faith or a religion or whatever, that's great. You know, because in many cases, I feel like it does help people. Mm -hmm. It serves a purpose. Oh, yeah. A lot of people like you have people who wouldn't be able to get off of drugs or wouldn't be able to to stop drinking alcohol or a lot of people have become very much improved personally because of their belief system. So anything we say on this program, because I've had Muslims on here, I've had Christians, atheists, and, and we're just, we're just getting perspective. So there's no, no judgment towards anyone. Correct. Yeah. Like it, it's, um, it's one of those things where I find that a lot of times faith and religion, I see many places where it provides structure where there may not have been before. And I, I feel like if there's one thing that many people in society need, it's definitely structure. <laughs> yeah, so it right. definitely has a place and purpose. It's just not one in my life. <laughs> uh, we'll get, we're going to get into that in a little bit. This whole second half is going to be uh, why you left. But uh, I've just got a, a few more questions. Yeah. So one thing, I'm not sure if this is true, are the Jehovah's Witnesses against blood transfusions. Is that a real thing? Uh, yes, actually. Um, so there was actually a card that you carried that was essentially saying, look, this is my faith. This is my religion. And I do not accept foreign blood transfusions, uh, in, into my body. It is a part of my belief system. And basically doctor, they, they, they fought a lot in, in the legal system to get these things honored 
because there were oftentimes where people could not speak for themselves, like if they were unconscious or something else was going on. Um, so beyond just this little card that they carried, there would also usually be a contact, somebody in a sense, like a power of attorney that would say, yeah. hey, look, if I am incapacitated, you contact this person and they will tell you this is the case. Um, but just there, there was reason for that. Um, kind of similar to things like tattoos and and other things it was this whole idea of not defiling the body yeah and it was seen as you know that that might be a way to do that is by putting another person's blood into your body i don't of course agree with that now but i i understood like why they would have that feeling the way that they were reading the bible that was that was what they saw you know that's interesting like because that's like the only group I'm aware of that has this particular belief. So it's interesting to see how that came about. And because it's basically just taking their own interpretation of the scriptures, because in the way I grew up tattoos, big no, no, it's so (laughs) same, that same logic and reasoning, just applying it a few steps further. And like I said, I am a bit removed from it. And there, there was likely more detail to it than that. I was, I was definitely younger um, and it hasn't really been relevant to my life. So again, if there's anything additional to that, then, you know, add it in. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like this is, this is so interesting to me. So at what point were you, when you began to like question some of the teachings of the church and uh, at what point did you begin to like try and distance yourself from them? So I, I basically, I was homeschooled my whole life um, Mm -hmm. by my parents and one of the things that they really emphasized with that homeschooling was critical thinking and to question things and how to find information and use it. You know, that was something I always appreciate that about being homeschooled. And the problem was I was going from that mindset to just kind of accepting things, you know, and, and going with them on faith and belief. And I was like, I, I can't make these two concepts work together. You know, because uh, I was always fascinated by science and and space and you know physics and all these things, and then there seemed to be kind of like a disconnect. Yeah, a disconnect for myself, like in my own mind. Like, well, how do I how do I be this person that questions things and seeks answers, and then at the same time, um, I have to just kind of accept these teachings and kind of like go on faith, which you know, faith is uh, to me, it's um, the definition I always go back to. It's like belief in something without evidence. (laughs) And I just, I couldn't do that. But also um, there was a lot of like internal, you know, and this is why I say that there's the reasons, the misconceptions people have about Jehovah's Witnesses that I don't think are necessarily fair. And then there's the reasons, your personal experiences that make you understand why you don't like being involved. And that there is a lot of like internal politics in a sense uh, certain people will be treated with like favoritism and other people will not. And sometimes it falls on somebody maybe who has tried to do all the right things and take the right path, but they're not getting the same treatment as somebody over here that isn't really doing what they're supposed to, you know, those kinds of things, right. You would witness that going on. And I was like, this doesn't seem very fair. And, and there's supposed to be all this oversight and people, you know, kind of making sure this doesn't happen. And yet it does. Um, but yeah, so those things, and then, you know, I, I hit about 15, 16 years old. And I remember just the, the further into my teen years I got, uh, the less relevant it was to my life anymore. And at the same time as just kind of reaching this point where I go, 
I, I, I believe in like, not believe in, but like, I understand science. I understand evolution. I understand these things. And there are Christians who will consolidate, you know, bring those, not consolidate, but they'll bring those two things together and make it work in their mind. I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't take my knowledge of science and how things work and the constant seeking to understand further what I don't. And I couldn't make that work with religion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some people are able to do it, but some people just can't. And that's okay. I, what you were describing about favoritism in the church, that's, I'm very familiar with that. I've seen that too in the church I grew up with. It's, you have certain people, they don't have, there's no problems. They do everything right. And you have other people who from the outside, it looks like they're doing all the wrong things, but they keep getting shown favoritism by the leaders and the pastors. And it just doesn't add up. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's, it's going to be the case in any group, whether it's uh, a friend group or whether it's a, uh, like at a job or it doesn't matter where you are, you're going to see these things happen. The exactly. problem I have is when you're in uh, a church or a congregation, when you're in a religion like that, where, so many of your actions are influenced by and controlled by this group. And then you're not getting that kind of unbiased, you know, treatment of everybody. It can be really harmful to people because one of the things is, uh, and I'm sure p people who are semi-familiar with Jehovah's Witnesses uh, are, are familiar with the concept, but we didn't really associate with people outside of the congregation, outside of Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. You know, they were called uh, they were worldly people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was the term I heard, too, growing up. Yeah. Yeah. It was basically in the Bible. There's uh, there's a passage that talks about not being no part of the world. And then there's other many, many different, obviously, scriptures and passages that go together. But you were you were not supposed to be part of the world. So that's why they didn't get involved in politics. And, you know, they didn't involve themselves in a lot of local goings ons. And socially, they just, they kept distant. And then there was the idea of bad associations spoil useful habits. So when you like combined all these different things together, it basically was in their minds, well, well, geez, if we associate with people outside of the congregation that invites the the ideas that are bad for us in here and it might start creating division and getting people to go on the wrong path so i understand the logic but it's flawed logic <laughs> oh yeah it's like there the idea is to keep everyone unified by exclusion of everyone yeah. else yeah <laughs> and that might work for some people but eventually the people will, most people, I think, will begin to question that. And you can't avoid associating unless you live completely off the grid in like a middle of nowhere community. You yeah. can't avoid being part of the world. You have to get a job. You have to interact with society. You have to go buy eggs. You have to do these things. And and that's where like we would do those things. But it's where I think some of the awkwardness and the outside like strangeness came from was people would see Jehovah's Witnesses but they wouldn't really hear them, you know, like they, they were there, they would know what they were, or they would talk to them briefly, but there was always something odd. I feel like about the interactions people have with Jehovah's witnesses. And that's why, because it's supposed to be very limited, kind of do your thing and be polite to people or whatever. But unless you were directly somehow like teaching them or they were interested in, in learning about quote unquote, the truth, um, then you didn't really, you didn't just go out and have a beer at the bar and watch a, a, a sports game or, you know, you didn't like make those kind of connections. You know, you'd have somebody who had a coworker or a group of coworkers who might be going and doing something together 
And that person will be like, no, I really can't do that. Yada, yada, yada. So that's where I think a lot of people's perception comes from is when you have a group that isolates themselves in that way, they seem kind of odd to you and people will think they're cult-like. <laughs> well, any group, when you take it, has cult-like attributes to it. And in every interaction I've had with the Jehovah's Witness, like you said, has been very short. I mean, they've always been very polite, uh, but there's no small talk. It's they, they're there and then they leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and they, they they're always supposed to to create a good, you know, a good witness for Jehovah is the idea by being presentable, by being clean, by by being polite and, and helpful and all these things. But then you always kind of retreated back to your own. And that was something, again, I'm a very social person, um, whether it's on the job or out in public or whatever it is. I like to talk to people. I love to, to just communicate. And honestly, I can't just talk about God all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's other things, you know, even if you're a very religious person, there's other things going on. Yeah. And in most people's lives, if they are religious, that's their personal life. And then they, they go out and they do the other things. So for, for Jehovah's Witnesses, it was kind of like all-encompassing, which they I can, again, I have some appreciation. I get that concept, but unless you are a missionary, unless you are something like that, then if you're just average Joe that wants to, you know, worship God and go learn things, but then you also want to go uh, grab a beer with your coworker, you know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of weird. Are you allowed to drink in that religion? They, they are. Um, it's not, they, they very much, um, shun obviously alcohol alcoholism like over drinking all the big bad things you know like uh overeating over drinking yeah uh over sexualization you know like all these different things right which is like okay these are in fact decent concepts um but yeah it was very much a personal choice if people drank uh and there were people that did it wasn't some kind of uh sobriety home <laughs> okay so it's not like this is some like heavy rules enforced cult where it's like you have to do what the leader says oh that reminds me before i forget another question so what's like the hierarchy is it uh is there like a pope figure or is it like individual churches so you you had on a local level like all, obviously there was all the brothers and sisters and and essentially everybody was brothers and sisters was the idea uh before god um but there there were elders um who were generally in, in a congregation of 250 to 300 people, you know, for the area, you had a handful of elders, I would say maybe like half a dozen, maybe eight. And these were the people that kind of oversaw the, the quote flock, you know, made sure everybody was okay. And, and essentially looked after the health of the congregation. Um, they dealt with personal matters and issues and other various, you know, disputes of wrongdoing or whatever. Um, but gener generally, they also had roles in managing the congregation, like financially and, and all these other things. Um, but they weren't they were a, an authority figure in the sense that they were supposed to um, be accountable for the congregation before God, I guess. But they didn't like they weren't supposed to like wield power over anybody. Um, and then you had like all these characters that were like, they were called ministerial servants and they were just like the people who did chores essentially. Like we had like a book counter, we had different, you know, things that need maintaining and upkeep or assistance. And that's what they did. They were kind of like assistants to the elders. Okay. Um, but when you went above that, you had like, um, almost like a, <laughs> like a franchise in a restaurant or something. You had like districts 
and regions. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so that's why you occasionally, I don't know if you ever seen like there would be like a, a football stadium or a baseball stadium or some arena, like a basketball arena where they would hold assemblies. And that would be like, you know, cross state type stuff where they're all getting together for like a weekend of assembly. Um, and then essentially they all kind of answer up and communicate to like bigger, you know, regions. And then you have the headquarters, um, of the watchtower society. It's called Bethel, um, which is in New York. And they were kind of the ones that they do all the printing of all the publications. Um, they give all the advisement to the, 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 the congregations and those overseeing the congregations on various matters and, and whatever, I suppose, new developments for the church. So, yeah, we didn't really have like a pope figure. There was nobody that was like uh, ordained in any okay. sort of way, but it was all very well structured and organized up to. Up to that point. That's interesting. Uh, Bethel is actually the name. I had another episode where I interviewed someone who actually went to the uh, a school called Bethel in California, but it's more of a charismatic uh, Pentecostal type school. So it's interesting that different uh, sects of the different types of Christianity will use uh, the same terms and mm. it's this because so in a jehovah's witness service are you is it more of a charismatic type service or is it more of like a stoic very serious type service um oh, or is man, it like I, a mixture I, i'd say a little bit of a mixture it's not like you're not going to have like uh um uh holy rollers or, yes. or people you know doing uh divine blessings or anything like that um it's a little bit i would say It'd be a little bit more on the stoic side, I would suppose. Um, a lot of study um, and just presentation of the information and materials, things like that. Um, but then it's also just very, it's very conversational, I suppose. Because like I said, you have like those question and answer parts. Um, the Theocratic Ministry School, which I actually participated in from the time I was like eight until I was about 15 or so. Um, but the Theocratic Ministry School was like various different people would be given assignments where you got to go find a, you, you were given a piece of the Bible that you were supposed to kind of break down and uh, essentially present a speech, a small, like five minute speech kind of highlighting what it was about and what it means to us. And, and then maybe referencing some other little scriptures alongside it, things like that. So it was, it was very conversational and involved, but it wasn't ob obnoxious and, uh, Gotcha. Uproarous. <laughs> yeah, I get you because I like that idea that you're describing because it really gives everyone an opportunity to participate. Uh, you didn't really have that in the Pentecostal community. Uh, one person would get up and scream for 30 minutes. And then <laughs> I guess whoever felt like screaming would also join in on the screaming. True. Yeah, no, it was you kind of all sat there um, and and dutifully enjoyed whatever was being presented unless there was audience interaction and then when it all kind of wrapped up you you sang your song uh and then there was the or the prayer to wrap it up and then it, it just kind of like it was this weird shift from okay we were all just doing this to you everybody just turns around and starts talking to each other um, yes you know <laughs> I, I get that because that was so strange for me because i would i would be in services and they were very emotional services because I don't know if you, you're ever in a Pentecostal service. They're designed to be very emotional. Right. So after that intense emotional moment, uh, we're just, oh, where, where are we going to go for lunch after this? Exactly. Like, that shift, <laughs> that's one of the things that threw me off. It's like, ah, what's happening? Yeah, most of my social life as a kid uh, being homeschooled 
um, was in the church because they, you know, there would be other kids and, and people around your age, but you also hung out with people a little bit. Most of my friends were, you know, three, four, five years older than me. And and then the older I got, the older my friends became. Yeah. So I, I would be like uh, 15, but I would, I would be hanging out with like people that were 20, 25 or whatever, because I just, they were cool, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would be like your kind of social gathering is you, you would get excited about, Oh, cool. Went like just before. And then for like the next 45 minutes to an hour after the meetings, you would be making your circles, talking to people and hanging out and stuff. So, oh, yeah, that's that's exactly. I had something very similar. I mean, as in my late teen years, I was like, well, I don't really want to go to church, but that's where all my friends are. So <laughs> I get to see everybody. Yeah, I get to see everyone. So let's circle back a bit. So does this whole like separation from society, is that related to the birthday thing at all? Uh, sort of. Uh, basically, the way they looked at it was in the Bible, there was no holidays that were uh, specifically commanded to be observed except for the Passover, um, which, of course, was originally a thing in Egypt during the plagues. Mm -hmm. And then later, of course, was reinvented by, you know, Jesus Christ himself. So the Passover was the only thing that we celebrated as any kind of um, holiday. Uh, or we also call it the memorial because it was like the memorial of Jesus' death. Uh, outside of that, the only mention in the Bible of, if I if I recall, this is the thing we were we would go over. The only mention of the Bible of a birthday was, um, I can't remember whose exactly it was, but there was a birthday party where David the baptizer, or Baptist as many people call him, but the baptizer, uh, where he was beheaded as a gift. I don't oh, know yeah, if you John remember that. Yes, yeah, know. John, not David. John. Yeah. I was thinking David. Close um, enough, right? <laughs> yeah, one of those biblical yeah. names. Um, but yeah, so that's the only mention of a birthday in the Bible. And none of the others are, you know, advised to be celebrated except for the memorial. And so that's part of it. And then, yeah, all these other things are kind of considered worldly, uh, vain types of celebrations. So like the birthday, you know, that's like kind of a vanity type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, of course, we, we looked at stuff like Christmas and Easter as completely and utterly inaccurate. So we didn't celebrate them because and even now, like because I'm an atheist and in many ways uh, I look at it in a secular fashion, I go, OK, I understand why people want to enjoy these holidays. It's pretty cool. Like I celebrate Christmas now, but I'm an atheist. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, same here. It's like. I, I'm not, I don't know about all the Jesus stuff, but I'll take some presents. <laughs> exactly. It's it's a good way. Like you get some presents, you hang out with family, you you yeah. you have these special times of year where you enjoy certain things, whether it's Fourth of July or Christmas or New Year's, um, Thanksgiving, you know, whatever it is, it's something that you enjoy as a way to get together with other people and enjoy something in a different format. Mm -hmm. Um, but as a Christian or as somebody looking at it, a Christian perspective, I'm like, you, you guys do realize that, um, Christmas was a pagan holiday that the Romans made a Christian holiday for control reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know, things like that. that. They don't know. <laughs> they don't think about it. And I'm like, that's kind of odd that I'm telling you guys this, but Jehovah's witnesses, that is how they saw it though. Um, they're, they're looking at Christianity. They're like, well, more than likely Jesus wasn't even born that time of year. So it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think the most accurate time is what I've heard. Jesus would have been born in like what we would have like mid-April around that time, like yeah. springtime, basically. Because when like they're talking about the shepherd, with the sheep would be out with the shepherd and the animals. So yep. I think springtime makes the most sense. Yeah, yeah it makes more sense in a weather uh, sense, and then um, 
yeah, there was what was some other traditional part of it, but yeah. So the idea of oh, you had the uh, what was it the traveling um, merchants or whatever they were yeah. that came and gave presents, and it's like okay, I can see where you're going with that. That makes sense, but maybe you should do it on a more correct day, especially because yeah, at a certain point when the Romans were trying to um, integrate Christianity, they took a pagan holiday that was celebrated. Uh, christmas time they took a pagan holiday same thing uh if i remember right with easter that's right and and they they essentially made them into christian holidays so it was essentially like a marketing ploy to try and you know you know take control more control over christianity in the in the empire Mm -hmm. so those things to me are kind of amusing that as a whole mainstream christianity doesn't quite understand but the jehovah's witnesses get that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you're exactly right with the um the commercialization of it and the marketing um, I think it was Emperor Constantine, who mm. I don't know the full story in detail, but apparently he saw like a, a vision and yeah. historians now think it was just like a comet or a meteor. And this convinced him to convert to Christianity. And then he wanted to get the whole empire on board. Uh, so he was outlawing the pagan traditions, but he didn't want the people to like go full on revolution on it. <laughs> so he's just like, we're just going to outlaw this tradition have something that's exactly the same, but call it something different. <laughs> yeah. And have it ma- and have it now be uh, taken up by these people that I'm trying to, uh, if I remember right, cause I, I listened to this really great podcast about Rome. Um, but there were multiple emperors who kind of went back and forth. Like there would be one emperor who was like, eh, whatever Christians are here. And then the next one would be like, kill them all. Yeah. And, then, and then the next one would come in and it would, or you'd have like Constantine who'd be like, I am a Christian. And so he would be trying to embrace it and make all these people on his side. And then it would go on like that for a while. So, yeah, it was like most things when it comes to religion. A lot of these traditions, the holidays and things like that are actually spawned from in some way, shape or form, trying to control a group of people. So and that goes back to what we had touched on earlier with making the Bible not very accessible to to read right because then you had to seek out somebody that you thought was an authority whether uh socially elite or educationally elite whatever it was and that was handed down to you from them you know putting them in a position of power over you this is good stuff man wow (laughs) i we one thing i'll say is when 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 I was a Jehovah's witness we we were educated very much like more so than what I've seen in many religions you were supposed to understand the Bible. So you were taught a lot, just like there would be, um, it was a really long thing. I swear, maybe it was because I was a child. It seemed like it went on for years, but we had this one book that we studied called the greatest man who ever lived. And it was essentially, it was all about Jesus life. Mm -hmm. And it was a big deal book when it came out to us. And so the book itself is supplementary to the Bible, of course. But what it does is it breaks down the whole story and has you study it and go into the scriptures that back it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they would do that on many different subjects over the years. There would be a book that would come out and this was like your major study material. That's that's what I was saying, that the Bible story meeting we would have or not Bible story, uh, Bible study. So we ended up being pretty darn educated on the Bible and on things that surrounded it, like the other outside politics over the you know millennia that have affected religion and Christianity and all that kind of stuff. So I, like I said, there's things I definitely appreciate about the upbringing in uh, being a Jehovah's witness. It's just that in the end, 
there's the things I can't reconcile with my own perspective on the world and life. It just doesn't work for me. So, so let's, so when you left, how was the reaction? Was there uh was there a sense of like, were you, did you feel exiled in a way or was that, were they more accepting? No, well, see, that's the thing is, um, it, it kind of depends on how you leave, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like there's people that are just like, um, maybe they do something wrong, right? Uh, you commit some sort of sin, whether it's like, uh, I guess it would be like fornication or like, say, say you cheated on your, your wife or whatever. Um, so you would, that was adultery or whatever. Adultery, sorry. Yeah. Um, if that was something that came out and, and then you could be, it would be excommunicated. We called it disfellowshipping. Um, but essentially they, they would never deny you the ability to come to the church and to learn but you were no longer to be associated with. You were no longer to be able to participate in the activities of the church and things like that. People who were once your friend were now like, hey, I, I can't have anything to do with this person, you know, because yeah. they, they are now disfellowshipped. They're no longer part of, you know, the, the family. Um, so I guess things like that could seem cultish, but I kind of get it too. Like you're, you're in this group. These are the rules. When you break those rules, you don't get to be part of the group. However, they were never all going to deny you you know, hearing God's word. So, uh, for someone like me, it was not anything like that. Um, I was never disfellowshipped, but that's basically just because I just was no longer involved anymore. (laughs) So you just like stopped going. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Like over time, uh, as uh, my family went less and less, but that doesn't mean you're like excommunicated or anything. It just means like, Hey, you should come back and go to a meeting. Yada, yada. Um, but over the years, we just kind of stopped going as much. And then when I decided I was done, well, that was it, you know, like I wasn't even involved much anymore at that point. So there was no big deal. The, uh, the best friends that I had made from the church, um, it's funny thing is they had moved on as well. Uh, what, like my best friend, um, he actually, moved on and became a Mormon. (laughs) So I was like, wait, almost as bad as becoming an atheist, but everybody knew like his whole family knew what had happened. The church knew what happened because, you know, it was kind of a public deal. Like his whole family was in the church. Um, So he left and he like married this girl that was Mormon and he converted to Mormonism. And so basically at that point, yeah, you're, you're kind of done. <laughs> we, we don't let Mormons in this building. That's kind of weird. We don't let no Mormons in the Jehovah's Witness building. <laughs> well, it's, this is so interesting to me because this, the Jehovah's Witness, it sounds like it has a lot more in common with uh, some forms of Judaism, with uh, the celebration of the Passover mm. and the other things they do. That's very interesting to me. Well, because the the Passover, like you, if you remember, you know, just the night that Jesus died, they were yeah. celebrating the Passover, like the original yeah. one, and of course, he changed the rules that, that that you know now this the bread and the wine now symbolized his flesh and his blood and the sacrifice he was about to make. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the tradition moved on from being a celebration of God's people's uh, being looked after and being um, liberated from Egypt. And to now this is God's people being liberated from sin by the sacrifice of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so each year, I believe that was actually in April is when they would celebrate it. Um, We did a memorial Passover celebration, and that was actually pretty solemn. Um, You you did a little meeting. They they would go over some passages or whatever. And then basically they just passed the little plate of the bread around and they passed the glass of wine around. And everybody just kind of passed it over each other and then 
that was it. Um, so I guess that would have something in similar to Judaism, but it was Christian, you know, like, yeah, yeah, they, they're celebrating it because it's the old, uh, the old, um, Israelites thing. And they, the Jehovah's witnesses were celebrating it because well, no, because Jesus commanded that this is the new celebration. So, yeah, that's interesting. I really, I've really learned a lot from this conversation. Yeah, I'm sure I could probably talk for hours and hours on many, many different things, but <laughs> I have this problem where I like to hear my own voice. Um, I've been told that by many people. So, <laughs> you know, some might look at it as a problem, but I think we need to reframe this as more of an asset. <laughs> Correct. I, I, I do YouTube, so it kind of works out for content creation. It does work out. Also, for anyone listening, go subscribe to his stuff. Check it out. Uh, Rival Indigo pokemon stuff gaming stuff all kinds of stuff check it out yeah it's it's been kind of transitioning like i i do still do pokemon stuff uh but lately it's been transitioning a little bit more to like gaming and commentary uh, the, i i've taken a little bit of a break recently but i need to get back into it more but commentary is my biggest thing i love again hearing the sound of my own voice so <laughs> <laughs> this is perfect then all right well thank you for listening everyone thanks indigo for being here and uh, thank you all for listening. Share it or don't share it because if you don't share it, someone else will share it. So you might as well share it. So that way you have two people sharing it. It gets doubly shared and you get double the return on your investment. That's how t economics works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's only a pyramid scheme if I'm charging you. We haven't yet got to the point where I'm charging people. Oh, true. Yeah. We're not making money at this point. <laughs> yeah. We got we got to work up to that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.